Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, of a very special guest. She just published a new book. Her name is Virginia Heffernan. Last name is spelled H-E-F-F-E-R-N-A-N. Title of the book is Ring of Fire, High Stakes Mining in a Lowlands Wilderness. Really interesting book. Very timely topic, I think, about uh, resource use and uh, source materials, raw materials, and the accessing raw materials in very far kind of prim primeval northern Canada. But she is a former geoscientist with a master's from the University of Toronto School of the Environment and an MFA from the University of King's College. Her articles have appeared in publications such as CIM Magazine, Explore, and The Globe and Mail. And she lives in Toronto. So again, her name is Virginia Heffernan, and the book is Ring of Fire. So Virginia, welcome to the show. Thank you, William. Excellent. So for people, you know, you have an interesting background. You you know or are knowledgeable about this subject. Can you kind of talk about your background and what led you to put together this book, Ring of Fire? Yeah, I studied geology, um, well, as far back as the 1980s. And I worked as a geologist in the, in the field. Um, so I worked a bit in Africa. I worked in northern Ontario, which is like northern Canada. Um, and and after, about, after about four years of that, I came back from Namibia. I was looking for a geology job and I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't find one because it's a very cyclical industry. Um, you know, sometimes there are lots of jobs for geologists. Other times there are not. And this was a not time. So I applied for a job at the Northern Miner, which is considered the Bible of the mining industry in Canada. And uh, I got a job, staff writer. So that's how my writing career started. Um, and then I, 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 I then went freelance as a writer. But I was mostly focused on geology, mining, uh, commodity prices, uh, just about anything to do with metals. Um, so so when, I, when I decided to do this book, I really what happened was I was, I'd been working on, you know, 800 to 2000 word pieces for various clients. And I thought, mm, I need to spice this up a bit. I need to do something more creative. And so I applied to the program at the University of King's College, which is an MFA in creative nonfiction. And they walk you through writing a book. And so basically you have to submit a chapter every month. And I thought, okay, well, what can I write about? Uh, and, and, I, and I got, I started thinking about the Ring of Fire because it was discovered in 2007. So we're talking 15 years ago. And it had always been in the back of my mind as this very important uh, discovery. Um, I guess the geologist in me, the exploration geologist in me, saw the drill results coming out of that swamp in, in northern Canada. And I thought, wow, this is, this is big. This is nickel, copper grades um, that are substantial. And, 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 and there's probably more of it up there. So I thought, okay, well... Let's combine the the uh, the degree creative nonfiction with the Ring of Fire discovery story, uh, and then things. Then it just got even more interesting because uh, at that time, I at the at that time between two thousand and seven and two thousand and twenty, say the the indigenous groups in Canada were were winning um, a lot of their lawsuits. Uh, 
within the Supreme, at the Supreme Court level, uh, because in, in Canada's constitution, uh, we, we uh, I mean, I think maybe we can get into more detail about this later, but basically there's a duty to consult and accommodate Indigenous groups in Canada if you're going to do any kind of exploration or development. And that had been kind of ignored uh, up until about 2013 or so. And then, and then the, the, the Indigenous groups started taking the provincial uh, governments to, to court and they were winning. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, so what's going to happen with the Ring of Fire? Because I knew that some of the First Nations were not happy about some of the way the exploration had been conducted up there because, you know, it's just like helicopters were all over the place and prospectors were leaving, you know, garbage behind. And, and so this was another whole angle to the book that made it very interesting. And then it just got even more interesting because then this whole need for critical metals uh, started to sort of really become um, universal. Uh, and so nickel is, is a very important metal for, uh, for EV batteries. And, and so we need a lot of it. And there, there's, there's not that much around, <laughs> to, you know, the, a lot of it's spoken for, let's just say. Right. So this is a fair, I mean, in, you know, mining environment, global mining environment, this ring of fire is a fairly new, if not a very new uh, addition to global stocks of these a variety of different metals, right? Yes, that's right. And and so there, there are actually quite a few different metals up there. They're not all considered critical uh, or, or they don't necessarily tie in with the green economy story. But we, you know, there's nickel, there's copper, there's zinc, there's gold, there's chromium, there's, you know, you, almost you name it, there's diamonds up there. That, so it's a very, very rich um, discovery. And uh, I think, you know, it's the, the actual mine that they want to start with um, is, it, it's actually a fairly small deposit on the surface. Like the footprint is very small, but it goes, it goes deep down, almost like a, like a, like a tower. You know, so I, 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 want, I think in my book, I say it's about two, the size of two CN towers. CN towers like the, used to be the largest freestanding structure in the world not anymore but uh, when it was built in the 70s so it's quite quite a deep deep deposit um but uh, like a pinprint prick, prick it's at surface so it's amazing they found it at all actually it is interesting and that ring of fire is in the kind of far north like you described that it's like twice it's a huge vast wilderness right so they found this kind of one spot that you know, geologically uh, had all these kind of things going back millennium right yes that's right i mean that those the the actual host rocks are about 2.7 billion years old um and and it was interesting because the people who found there were i don't want to complicate things but there was a discovery before that of, of copper and zinc together before the nickel discovery and and those those geologists were actually looking for diamonds and they saw what they saw was like a magnetic high. So the, so the, so they do these aerial surveys uh, and they pick out areas of high magnetism. Um, and those, you know, they're all, often when you get a diamond deposit, it's quite, it looks like a carrot 
and so, and so it's round at the surface. And so, so these, so you can imagine you've got these, so you get, you get back the geophysics, the geophysicists put it into a map. There's like green everywhere. And then there's these red dots and, and they thought, okay, they're the, those are the diamond mines. So they go to drill the red dots and they find copper and zinc. And then when, when, when the main promoter, Dick Nemus, uh, uh, this is way back in 2006, decides to decides that he likes the copper-zinc uh, intersections. He's looking for copper and zinc and he finds nickel. So, so, it's, so it's kind of interesting because they couldn't see anything at surface, right? There's no, there's no outcrop. There's outcrop is when the bedrock, you know, pokes out in. I mean, you see it everywhere. Most places have bedrock poking out, but not the James Bay lowlands. It's very swampy. Um, it's like, a, it's basically a giant wetland. I think 320,000 square kilometers up there of, of basically swamp. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's covered with what, what, what there was a word I'd never heard before. Mexeg or something like that. What was it? It was oh, uh, muskeg. Muskeg, yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's really just, I mean, you know, Pete, Pete, Pete might be might be more people might have a better sense of, of what that is. Uh, it's just like organic material. Actually, it's quite valuable in terms of climate change because it sequesters carbon um, even more even more than the Amazon rainforest. So, so so here's another complication to the story, right? Like you don't right. want to be messing with the you don't want to be messing with the peatlands because you're going to release all this this carbon. Um, and the numbers are enormous, right? Billions, tens of billions of dollars, at least in mineral value of all different these types of minerals up there, right? So yeah, yes, yeah, that is correct. Uh, unfortunately, they're worthless until until there's a road put up there because you can't mine any of those metals without a road. Gotcha. I mean, it's really kind of is amazing to think that there's still places. I mean, I've, I've read stories about in Australia, they're doing the same thing. And some of the biggest, bill, I mean, you mentioned some of them in your book, the biggest multi-billionaires in Australia are mineral uh, surveyors or whatever, people who are drilling because there's so much mineral wealth there or metal worth. But it is interesting that they haven't really gone into this primeval. You say like in certain parts, it's like you went on a trip up there actually and saw no people like yes, and yes. some rivers are never I haven't even been surveyed yet right yes that's right it's quite remote and then nobody ever goes up there they're you know the, the first nations communities up there are are quite small they're only about you know a couple hundred people each uh and 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 they're very remote and they're they don't have roads going to them well that's not quite true a couple of them have what we call ice roads or winter roads. And so they operate between uh, like January and well, the season is getting shorter and shorter with, with global warming. Uh, but say between January and March, they can access their communities. Uh, some of them can, not all of them uh, through a, with a winter road. But once that melts, then they're, 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 they're basically stranded again up there. So it's really, really difficult place to live and a difficult place to, to work in a difficult place to explore. Right. No, it's incredible. And so, like, I think you said that in that whole vast wilderness, there's only like 25,000 indigenous. So they're spread out over a very wide yes. uh, expanse yes. of land. Yeah. Yes. Most, most, yeah. Sorry, most of them are just clustered along the, along the coast. 
at the the coast of the James of James Bay. Um, you know, that's sort of where the fur trade was was happening, and uh, so the, those communities are a little larger. Uh, but the Ring of Fire is um, two or three hundred kilometers inland, and so those communities tend they tend to be much smaller. Yeah. Right. So the James Bay is if, if in people's mind. It's kind of a smaller bay that comes off the huge Hudson Bay, right? That's so right. Map, That's right. right. It's it's like the it's like a, it looks like a leg in a profile. So uh, Hudson's Bay is massive, I, and and then, yeah, I think most people who've looked at a map of North America know, know what we mean by Hudson's Bay. Right. And, yeah, I think and that's then, yeah, James Bay is just the skinny leg in the south. <laughs> right, and that's kind of very. If you went James Bay west that's when you would kind of come across the ring of fire amongst other you know resources all the way up there north the, yeah there. yeah i mean not not that you, you'd be i mean i think i think what they'll find is is as they explore that area more they will find more and more there 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 was a diamond mine there for i think it was 10 years closed down a couple of years ago but other than that there's not a whole lot because because nobody was exploring up there because there, it was impossible to know what was under the swamp. Um, and, and then, you know, it's just very logistically difficult to and expensive to work up there. So I think more will be found now that we know that, that it's really rich in metals, but, but there's not that much yet. Yeah, I mean, there is in the Ring of Fire, but I'm talking about that whole, like that whole region. Um, but you wrote you wrote in the book they didn't even expect to find there were happy accidents they didn't expect that there would be any diamonds there right but that was incorrect there was like yeah, a very wealthy diamond mine right I think I think De Beers knew because they you know they had the monopoly on diamonds for uh, at least well decades anyway if not centuries and and so they had their own proprietary exploration techniques that they used that nobody else knew about. And so they were looking at, they started looking there, you know, before the turn of the, of the century. And I, I'm, I'm talking about the 20, 20, 21st century. Um, and they, they knew, they knew just, just based on what they could see from the geology. So that would have been all publicly funded maps that were, put together by the Geological Survey of Canada. And they were looking at those maps and thinking, wow, we've seen this before. We there's probably a diamond mine there. And then they and you know it took them took them a couple of decades to find it, but they did eventually find it. Wow. And there, I mean huge amounts of money generated billions of dollars if I remember correctly. Victor Pipes, is that it? Like they found something like the beers and yeah they're out of south africa right so that's right yeah that's a south african co company and they no longer have the monopoly but but at the time they were really the only people who knew how to look for diamonds and yes they found the victor pipes i think there are there are, there are something like 16 pipes up there but they only mined the two richest ones um and and they were yeah a very 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 valuable diamonds were coming out of those pipes and that wasn't the only one. When you talk about an American company, the biggest uh, American company uh, tried their hand in that area, Cliff Natural Resources, right? So yes. there's like a mix of wildcatters and big companies with their eye on that uh, territory, correct? Yes, that's that's right. I mean, at that, so Cliff's eventually left, but because they got frustrated with the 
the system of how you actually um, build infrastructure and mines in Canada, uh, especially in Ontario. Uh, but anyway, that's another story. Um, but it was really the what we call the junior companies. So there'll just be like a couple of geologists on staff and they trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange. That's how they raise their money for exploration. So it was really them for, for at least a um, couple, well, at least three years, it was just the juniors. And then Cliffs, yeah, they were like, okay, well, that's when Norant started finding uh, chromium up there. And so, and so uh, Cliffs had their eye specifically on the chromium deposits. Right, and so they 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 were not the successful ones, but the this the the stocks, the penny stocks, the smaller stocks, they could rise and fall based upon uh, findings up there, right? So it was very important for these guys and their companies to uh, be successful in their geological surveys, right? Yes, that's right, and and you know, and even sometimes when you're successful, if there's no market appetite for whatever reason, you know, commodity prices are down or you know, there's a finan global financial crisis. They're sort of the first ones to investors just sell sell off, and so it doesn't even matter what you're discovering. But but that's sort of the idea. If you make a good discovery, you, your company, and and the investors or the shareholders can make a lot of money because you're starting out at twenty cents, and you know you find find a gold mine, or you find a nickel mine, or or you just make a discovery, not necessarily a mine, and it, you know it can shoot up to yeah, like six bucks, seven bucks. You can really make make a lot of money on that. And the the ownership of land is also different. It's under the kind of crown land spirit. Can you talk about the the legal uh, you know year? What what? How did it start? How did people make these claims initially up to today on land? Yeah, so so um, about quite a, a major a majority of the prop property or the land in Ontario is is considered crown land, so basically like owned by the government. And uh, they back a long time ago, hundred years ago, they decided they wanted to open up a lot of the north northern Canada, and and because they, you know it was this huge expanse of of, of land. Uh, and one way to do that was to give people prospecting licenses. And so anybody, you didn't have to have any special training or anything. You could, you could just apply for a prospector's license and pay your $10 and, and you can go anywhere and <clears throat> stake claims. And uh, when I say stake claims, you're literally, or used to be, you literally go into the bush and hammer in uh, a claim posts uh, four corners and there's your claim and you can stake as many as you want um, you have to work them you have to explore on them and you have to show the government that you're doing that but just about anybody can do that um, uh, so that's basically how our system works um, you don't you never own the, the land rights but you you can own the mineral rights uh, and because you're on crown land, you don't have to negotiate with a private landowner because the, you're just you're just working with the government. Right, yeah. it's working straight with the provincial, state government in Canada, right? So, how does that money get distributed? I mean, if these and the indigenous, by our standards, would be considered impoverished. Would you agree with that? The oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, there's not a lot up the up there for them, and they were forced. We have to remember that they were. 
they were forced up there by by the crown. They, I mean, a lot of the a lot of those, you know, the Cree and the Ojibwe were were semi nomadic, um, and wouldn't have chosen to live in these communities permanently. They may have gone up there to fish and hunt, but the government, you know, <laughs> kind of forced them up there. They they signed a treaty in 1905. And the government said, "You're going to live here. We're going to we're going to we're going to educate your kids, um, and and we're going to give you a little cash stipend. Uh, but this is where you're going to live. And and if you want the money, then that's that's where you have to go. And so it was kind of I you know there's a lot of debate about uh, well not even debate really. I mean they they got hoodwinked basically. Yeah. Right. So they they got put on reservations, much like in the United States. So that so-called land was kind of absconded with. So they got the short end of the stick. And how how are they seen in this? I mean, I think you talk about it was the Constitution Act of 1982 Mm -hmm. about their rights. How are they going to be a player or involved in this mineral and this extraction of value from the land? Yeah, well, it, it's a little bit complicated because there are probably five or six communities that are within, you know, 100 kilometer, 200 kilometer radius of the of the mineral deposits. And some of them are keen on the mining development because part of the mining development is that they will have a road that goes up to their communities. And that will be huge for them because then they'll be able to, you know, bring in groceries, medical care will be easier. Everything will be easier. Um, Other communities don't want any, they don't want the road and they don't, they definitely don't want the mines. And so that's still being kind of worked out because we do have to consult. Um, So it's a bit murky, this consultation process. Uh, but but the provincial government, our Ontario government, is very keen to to punch that road through and get those mines going. And the two closest communities are Webquay and Martin Falls, and they are on board. They want the road, um, they want the mines with you know certain conditions, and they will have, they will be employed, they will be trained, they will ha- they will they will provide all the 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 um, support services and and uh and so it is a huge uh economic opportunity for them um and you 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 could imagine that um a lot of the off-reserve uh uh indigenous people would perhaps move back to their reserves because there would be jobs and there would be there would be a road and, and life would be a little easier uh the quality of life would be would be better right and i mean that whole place is shut down during the snow season right so for six months they want to put an all season road in there right yes that's right it would be an all season road and and it would be open to everybody you know it wouldn't be just a, a company road it would be open to to everybody and that's sort of part of the the deal is that it has to this road has to go to at least some of the First Nations communities, and so that 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 it's an advantage for them, and it's not just a a private sector, you know, uh, endeavor. Gotcha. And how much? How many miles do they need to build to have that all season road from its its nearest connection? Yeah, I think if you if you include the the 
the sort of offshoot roads to the communities, it's it's about 400 kilometers of road. So it's, it's significant and it's difficult because again, um, somebody described it as Queen Anne's lace. It looks like Queen Anne's lace when you, when you, when you, when you fly over it because it, it's so swampy and it difficult, difficult to build any kind of infrastructure, but not impossible. Yeah. Right. With the money that they could get back in taxes or whatever gets paid out. I mean, what's, and when, when these, when these people get the mining, they get a hundred percent of the benefit, right? There's no, I mean, as there are the provincial governments obtain any value from what's extracted from the earth? Well, there are taxes, yes, on the production. So it, it really varies from province to province. So it's hard to put a number on it. Um, but certainly the mining industry contributes, uh, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to the, the federal and provincial government uh, as, as a whole in, in Canada. So, it, and that fluctuates depending on you know, commodity prices and it's, it's, it's difficult. It's move. It's a moving target because, uh, you know, say if nickel can, can go down in price or gold or whatever they're mining and then, and then they can fall into a loss situation. Then the next year, maybe they make a ton of money. So, but yes, it is, there are taxes and royalties on, on that production. Right. And that's kind of the, the dangers of just mining in general is the fluctuation in uh, the market prices of all of these goods. I mean, haven't they kind of gone up over time, over the decades? Isn't there higher demand for certain of these? these for, uh, for certain, for certain uh, metals, for sure. Um, and I mean, nickel's going like the, the demand for nickel is, is just skyrocketing. So, of course, the price will go along with that. But they're always, you know, they're always dips depending on, uh, you know, well, the world economy, really. Um, and so it's it's very up and down. But generally, for nickel and copper especially, are going to be in high demand over the next, uh, well, if, if, if EV batteries really take off and, and, and the whole green energy revolution happens, um, we're going to see a huge amount of, of demand for these metals. Yeah. Right. So it'll just be in higher demand. And what uh, what do you foresee like this? Do you think that these minerals and things will be extracted by locals or will it be handed over to kind of massive uh, international conglomerates? What are your thoughts? Well, the the main deposit or the one that they want to mine first uh, is owned by Wailu, which is a which is not quite a large Australian company. Um, and so they, I suspect, you know, they'll, they'll hang in there, uh, and they will provide the, you know, they will finance the project. So whatever it costs to build that mine, it's probably going to be in the hundreds of millions to build that mine. Uh, so they will finance that. And, and then, and, 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 and. But um, but I am hoping, well, I guess in the best case scenario, there would be some kind of revenue sharing going on with the communities up there uh, so, that, so that they can take their share of the, the, the profits and put them back into their communities and have a little more self-governance and not have to rely on the federal government for handouts and so that they can, you know, be 
you know, masters of their own communities uh, instead of, you know, always, um, always being under the thumb of, of the federal government and having to do what the federal government, uh, you know, tells them to do or, or offers. Uh, so, so that's, that's, that's sort of a best case scenario. I, I'm not sure that it's, it's going to happen, but I think that's something that, that as a society, we should, we should push for because um, we need to, we need to, well, we need to, we need reconciliation. And one way to, one, one, one form of reconciliation is economic rec reconciliation and, 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 and allow these communities to, to, you know, prosper instead of just being taken advantage of. Right. Right. And what do you, how do you perceive the kind of provincial government or the federal government? How do you think that they're uh, performing in consideration of kind of indigenous rights and uh, and kind of uh, helping to extract those valuable resources. Yeah, well, <laughs> I would say they they've uh, not. I would I would give them a, a D minus because <laughs> because there's a lot of talk uh, about how they want to help these communities and they and they want to get everybody out from under the uh, you know, the darkness of the Indian Act and they want reconciliation. Um, but at the other, on the other hand, they're, they're, you know, this discovery was made in 2007. Um, attempts have been made to build the road, but the provincial government hasn't really uh, got, got they, they, they have not been able to negotiate in a way that the Indigenous groups up there trust them and so when you don't have that trust it's very hard to broker a deal um and you know it's 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 i don't know about the u.s but in canada the the uh the federal government handles like the indigenous indigenous communities are are their responsibility right and, but the mining like in the states it's like that in the states it's oh it is too yeah and so but the mining is provincial and so and so, so, you know, they don't, they're not, I think that they're not, or haven't, maybe they will now, they, they don't, they're sort of going on parallel tracks and they're not really communicating about the importance of, of this area and how to do it right, you know, like, you got to get it right because otherwise there's going to be more lawsuits and, and more protests and it's really important that they, I think it's really important that they take this area that is, that is, um, is completely undeveloped and, and, but at the same time, very valuable and, and do it properly. And so that it becomes a model of how to, how to develop and mine resources, uh, sustainably. Right. And everybody's interest and there have been lawsuits and you, like talk, there's a lot of uh, these indigenous represent representatives in Ottawa in the provincial capital, kind of negotiating things or at least being involved in in the, the mining efforts or things like that. Isn't that correct? Well, I, I mean, at the federal level, it's um we haven't heard a lot from the federal government. I mm -hmm. I'm it's a little bit surprising because even even you know Biden was here yesterday or the, no it must That's have been right. what's today yeah it's friday i guess he was here and and he he 
you know, he's talking about he's talking about critical minerals. I don't know if he mentioned the Ring of Fire specifically. I don't think so. But you know, so so it's we're just playing catch up. It seems uh, the federal government's playing catch up. It's like, oh right, yeah, we do need those, especially if we're going to have these EV battery manufacturing plants. Well, we need something to to feed them, right? We we can't have the plants without the metals. So. Wasn't there like a huge Chinese investment or supposed to be an investment in Ontario for a battery plant? Is that right? Uh, the Volkswagen is coming to Ontario. Well, and um, the what used to be Chrysler, St Stellantis, is it? Is it Stellantis? Anyway, so so they, they basically um, promised to build plants in, uh, in Ontario. I don't think the construction started yet, but the promises are there promises of their right so it is kind of moving forward like we're that's all going to happen and it is interesting like in when you look at kind of the map of that area they still have all of the native indigenous names and things like that mm -hmm. so guys are floating around it's pretty mm -hmm. pretty interesting um we're at about 35 minutes virginia is there anything you'd like to add or anything i missed i mean what would you what do you see happening in the near future well i think i think they I think what needs to happen is, is they have to figure out what it is. So they have to figure out what these, the first nations that are opposed to the project, like what would change a no into a, into a maybe or a yes, because without their support, it's going to be, it's going to be tricky. There will be, you know, there are potentially lawsuits and, and uh, protests ahead. So what, what do the, so what, what would turn that into a into a yes? What would turn that no into a yes? And and that's I think that's that's something that that's that needs to be figured out soon because I think some you know a, a company like Wailu they've you know they've they've got the capital but they're not going to sit on it for five years and this is what happened with Cliffs right they left because they yeah. just it's like this you know we put five hundred million dollars into the into the James Bay lowlands and we have, you know, we're not even close to being able to build the infrastructure we need. So, so they've got to figure out how to make that not so difficult um, for, for, for the private sector, but also for, and figure out what the indigenous communities actually want. Um, because otherwise it's going to be, you know, it, it may still happen, but it's going to be difficult. It's going to be very difficult. So it made me think of the Keystone Pipeline, right? Canada resource no. extraction, but also like the alienated local peoples. There were all kinds of environmental issues, native issues, right? So yes, that was a disaster. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I, you know, I look at the Ring of Fire and I think, well, this is like a microcosm of resource development around the world, where uh, we're just running into all kinds of roadblocks and if we if we really if we're really committed to to to, to this ev batteries especially um well we we have to we have to be able to mine them and and i and there i i believe that 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 those, those mines can be sustainable if they're done properly you know they if they, they don't have to be uh environmentally damaging in any in any large way so I, I do think that uh, that there's a lot of there's a lot of promise here, um, 
but but it has to be done right. It has to be done yeah. correctly. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I kind of think of like Alaska and the oil where people get paid. There's a stipend that, that comes out of the oil that's uh, benefits the residents of Alaska. Because you look at the other hand where there's just brutal human exploitation in Africa and the Congo or something for some of these types of minerals or resources where they're working for nothing to, you know, get these resources for our cell phones and stuff. And yes, exactly. You don't want that to happen, yeah. Yeah. Order, which yeah. would be a disaster for everyone. And I mean, yeah, the environmental uh, degradation too that could happen too is also a concern. Like, exactly. Like strip mining yeah. or something like that. Really right. interesting, yeah. This is um, what we want to avoid. We want to avoid the strip mines, you know, because they right. can be a, a real problem. Uh, go right. underground. Go underground. <laughs> right. There you go. With the billions and billions at stake, that's just what they know so far, right? It's not a fully, un, you know, analyzed uh, area. They, they they could find more valuable stuff. Who knows? Yes. So, Most likely they will. Yes. Yeah. Well, Virginia, where's the best place for people to get Ring of Fire? Right. Well, my publisher is ECW Press. So uh, if you go to their website, you'll see a link there to the Ring of Fire and you can buy it on Amazon. You can you know, buy it at your local bookstore. There's a shop local button on there. Uh, and if you want to find me, I'm at uh, geopen.com, G-E-O-P-E-N.com. Geopen.com. And your last name is spelled H-E-F-F. E-R-N-A-N. So Geopen, I'll put that in the show notes. But uh, again, excellent conversation. Thanks so much for your time. Title of the book is Ring of Fire, High Stakes Mining in a Lowlands Wilderness. And the author is Virginia Heffernan. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, William. I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Likewise. All right. Stay there. Stay there.